Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here. <clears throat> and I'm so glad you are with us here on this beautiful spring, summer-ish day, right? Um, I've really been enjoying uh, seasons again in my life. I, I've been enjoying this season of spring and having things bloom and start um, like walking by trees and be caught off guard by like the immense fragrance that's coming from a tree that like I forgot about, honestly. Because in Louisiana, everything is growing all the time. And there are beautiful things all the time. But it's like you kind of miss that like, uh, the, fra- the surprise of fragrance that like all of a sudden comes um, because there isn't like the traditional <laughs> traditional four seasons. Maybe that's just my tradition <laughs> uh, being from Illinois. Um, so I've, I've really been enjoying the fragrance of the trees lately outside. Um, anyways, but what I haven't been enjoying is the bugs. There's some serious bugs going on right now. I'll be running and like I'm choking them and swatting them. I'm like, oh, I don't know, the bugs right now. Um, anyways, I have something else to confess to you this morning. I hate waiting. I'm not very good at waiting. I don't like waiting for things in general. Um, and I often like play this game with waiting where I try to like, win at waiting, where I either like minimize the amount of time that I have to do it in the first place, or somehow I try to like maximize my waiting efforts. You know, like if you're in line, you try to text that person back, or I don't know, just crazy things like that. Um, It might just be me, that's fine, or it could be our culture. Our culture kind of uh, encourages this, we don't like waiting kind of feeling, right? We like things now and fast. Now, I will say, since moving to Muhammad, um, I've had a lot less waiting in my life, okay? I don't sit in traffic anymore. I used to sit in a lot of traffic that used to be part of my daily existence, and it is not anymore. And it's a really good feeling to have that, like, lifted out of your life. You're like, oh, I can breathe without all this traffic making me grumpy every day. Um, But I don't necessarily know if that has grown me in waiting necessarily. It's just not, that is not part of my life anymore. Um, But I'll give you a little snapshot into into this waiting traffic thing from um, my last year of life um, when I still lived in Baton Rouge. So uh, my oldest daughter, Ellie, was in kindergarten, and um, she went to a school that was about 20 minutes away from our house, and there wasn't a bus to come get her, so we drove her to school. And it was my job to, every afternoon, pick her up from school. And so I had this ongoing, daily, painful process of wading through traffic, Baton Rouge traffic, when everyone is picking up their kid from school, so that I could get to the school uh, and wait in the endless car pickup line and eventually pick her up and then drive home in more traffic. Um, And every day, I would try to calculate the exact perfect time 
to leave my house so that I could maximize my day. <laughs> and it would either be that I would leave really early so that I could be one of the first people in the car line. And this means that I would um, get my other two daughters in the car and have them nap on the way over. And then they would keep napping while I sat in the line. And I would be able, there would be no traffic if I left super, super early. And then I would be able to sit in the car line and read a book or do some work, you know, maximizing my waiting efforts, right? And then pick up Ellie, everyone would be happy that the younger two had their nap. But if I napped them at home first, then that changed the game. Then I would try to wake them up at the very last possible minute, shove them in the car, drive there, be one of the last people to you know, go through the line. And then I didn't have to wait in the line because at that point, people are just driving through, picking up, and you're not waiting in the line. Um, so it was either those two or I just like lost completely and woke them up in the middle of their naps. Everybody's crying and it's just a, a big grumpy fest the whole way, you know? <laughs> So, you know, I feel kind of ridiculous telling you the inner workings of my brain. And I mean, did it really add value to my life, all that strategizing and all that stress I tried to put on myself every day just to have this perfect pickup time so I could get the most amount of time at home or in the car without any disturbances? No, no, it probably didn't add much value to my life. Um, but what I think that it illustrates is that we like to be in control of our lives, right? Um, it's our life and our time, and we want to be in charge of that. Um, we don't want things out of control causing chaos in our life. We like to be the, the mini-gods of our own lives, right? Now, today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, in the Old Testament, um, this was a grand celebration of the goodness of God and the, and the harvest season. So there was two different harvest seasons, and this was the wheat, the early wheat harvest season. And so the Jews celebrated that. And then as Christians, we celebrate uh, Pentecost because in the book of Acts, on Pentecost, on, in Acts, on the day of Pentecost, is when the Holy Spirit filled the believers with power. And 3,000 people were added to the church that very day. And so Pentecost Sunday is when the Holy Spirit came and lit the flame of the church. And this unstoppable kingdom continued to advance until we are here this very day. We are the fruit of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in the New Testament. Um, and what does this illustration of, you know, waiting and the Holy Spirit and Pentecost have to do with each other? Well, I think waiting is an, an essential element in experiencing the Holy Spirit. Waiting is an essential element in experiencing the Holy Spirit. Um, seminary professor and pastor Jeff Hoskloff wrote in his blog recently about Pentecost. 
We can't control the Spirit, we only receive. We can't command the Spirit, we only submit. We can't coerce the Spirit, we only remain open. We can't conform the Spirit to our timetable, we must wait. So there's waiting involved with the Holy Spirit. And it can be uncomfortable. We want, we want more of God. We want more of his presence. We want to be filled with more love and more peace and more power. But we often overlook the role of waiting in the midst of that. And it could be just because we have this aversion to waiting. You know, we're kind of resistant against waiting. But that can be problematic when it comes to our faith because faith is often characterized by lots of uncertainty. Lots of times of waiting, patience. It is a journey. And God meets us often in unexpected ways along that journey as we wait on him to show up. So we're going to talk about this Pentecost story this morning and enter into what was happening in Acts on Pentecost. So the book of Acts opens up with uh, the disciples being reunited with the resurrected Jesus, okay? So uh, they were able to hang out with him for about 40 days. And it probably took that entire 40 days for them to recalibrate from the traumatic experiences of the cross, I would imagine. Um, you know, at the crucifixion, they felt probably all hope was lost. They thought the story was over. They were probably so confused and uncertain about where things were going next. And then here, they get reunited with Jesus, and um, they're witnesses of what happened to him on the cross, and they're witnesses of his resurrection, and they're so excited to be finally with him again. And so they spend time listening to him teach more about the kingdom. And they just eat with him and spend time with him. So that's what's happening in the beginning of Acts. And then, you know, it, the, it was coming time for Jesus to ascend back to the Father. And I would imagine that that would cause anxiety if I was a disciple. Like, I just, we just got the leader back. You know, we just recalibrated and I thought we were going to set up this kingdom together. You know, I thought we were going to free Israel and see this kingdom expand. But now he's leaving, and I, I would feel unsettled, uncertain in that moment as a disciple. Um, but, but Jesus had already predicted to them and, and told them that it was better for him to leave. Because if he left they would receive the helper. And the Holy Spirit was the one that was going to continue the work in the hearts of the disciples, in the lives of the disciples. That this kingdom Jesus has been talking about was going to be a multiplying kingdom. The Holy Spirit was going to be the key inside each believer to extend this kingdom. And the Holy Spirit would allow them to have direct access to God, just like Jesus had. And they would experience what life was like for Jesus on earth because they would have this union with the Father, the same way Jesus did. 
Um, in John 16, 4 through 7, this is one of those moments where Jesus was talking about this time that has now come in Acts. He says, I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day, but now I am on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again, this truth. It is better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, I would imagine this truth was, was hard to swallow. Um, why does it matter, Jesus, that you have to leave so the friend can come? We don't always know why God does the things he does, but this is what he says, that it's better for me to leave so that I can send the friend to you, the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is essential because you won't be able to do it otherwise. If you try to live your life being the mini-God of your own life and, and living out your faith by being in control, it's just going to create all kinds of mess. We are not God. We don't take the role of God. But we do live dependent on God through the Holy Spirit, waiting, sometimes uncertain, but always in friendship with the Holy Spirit. So how do we experience this Holy Spirit that, that, um, that Jesus is talking about, this friend that Jesus is talking about? Well, this is what he tells his disciples in Acts 2. He tells them to wait. Remember I said waiting is an essential element in experiencing more of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Acts 1, starting in verse 4. It says, Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about the gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is, it now, is now the time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he answered, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and the times of their fulfillment. You're not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority, but I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. You will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remote, remotest places on earth. Right after Jesus spoke these words, the disciples saw him being lifted into the sky and disappearing into a cloud. So Jesus commands his disciples to wait. Don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes, period. And I probably, again, as a disciple, would be a little flustered. Like, Jesus, you're God. God can do anything. God spoke, made creation. Why can't we just speak the Holy Spirit right now and be over this waiting business? But he tells them to wait. And so they might have been puzzled, you know, they were still asking Jesus, like, when are we setting up this kingdom, right? And he's like, you will. 
You will be seized with power, and you will set up the kingdom. It's just going to look differently than maybe what you expect in your mind. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom with spiritual power. It's not going to be political power, financial power. It's not going to be religious power. It's going to be Holy Spirit, supernatural power. And they probably had no clue what was coming while they waited. Alan Craft, in his book, More, When a Little Bit of the Spirit is Not Enough, says, In other words, don't leave home without the Spirit. The command highlights the fact that the disciples were not in control of their situation. They were not calling the shots. Jesus was. The waiting in Jerusalem speaks of their absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted them to know that they could not possibly accomplish the mission on their own. So the command to wait was fueled by an awareness of their need. And I think that's the paradox of waiting. We don't like to wait, or I don't like to wait, because it makes me feel not in control. But I think the role of waiting says we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. We are dependent on God. He can show up and do whatever he wants, and we are here to just receive it. So the disciples did what Jesus commanded. They traveled from the Mount of Olives back to Jerusalem, and they waited there. And they waited, and they waited. And they met together. They were united in prayer, it says. And it was about 10 days that they waited. And it picks up in Acts 2. It says, On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now this was no subtle experience, right? The Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind. And I wouldn't even say a rushing wind. Um, Some translations say like a hurricane wind. And I used to live in Hurricane Place, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I probably didn't even experience the worst of hurricane winds. But I would imagine, like, you know when people say a tornado is coming and it sounds like a train? I would imagine it's like that kind of loud, shaking wind. This whole building, you couldn't miss it, right? The other people, the other Jews that were gathered in town for Pentecost, they did not miss it. They heard it somehow. There was a physical nature to the Holy Spirit coming. There was a physical appearance of of something that looked like fire. But then it turned um, into their bodies. It went into their bodies, and it absolutely changed what was happening in their bodies. They started speaking in tongues. And they were absolutely changed from this moment forward with the power of God that came inside of them. So 
So if they were afraid and hiding from this situation that they were in with this, Jesus is gone and what are we doing? Now they were filled with boldness. If they were grieving, they were filled with joy. If they felt worthless, they became confident. Their, their whole person changed after encountering the power and presence of God. Now, the Spirit had been working in the lives of the disciples. It had been drawing them to Jesus as, he, as they followed him. And he even sent them out a few times, like, you know, to, to continue the kingdom ministry, that they were to go out and heal and cast out demons. And it's like he gave them... Um, he gave them the Holy Spirit to go do that, but they didn't have the, the ongoing, permanent filling of the Holy Spirit until this experience. And Jesus was firm when he told them to wait, that they would need this power, that they shouldn't attempt building the church, doing ministry, carrying on the kingdom work without the Holy Spirit. He's really that essential in everything that we do. Now, there's two Greek words used to describe the Spirit-filling believers, and one of them in this Acts 2 is that, is that talk, it talks about that spontaneous filling, where like the Spirit comes upon somebody and fills them with a particular purpose, specifically like to do ministry. And then there is another Greek word that talks about like the permanent presence, the filling of the Holy Spirit that's always with us. And so we can ask for more of the Holy Spirit. We can ask for the spontaneous, ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit to continue the task of ministry, to continue advancing the kingdom. And God loves to give us more of himself. Let's look at the Father's heart about asking in Luke 11, 9 through 13. It says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish... Do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is a picture of continual asking and the Father's heart to give it. You know, if, when you were a child... Did you ever ask your parents just one time for something and then you just quit? <laughs> no, you didn't. As a child, you, you were okay with asking and asking and asking and asking. And then somewhere along the line, as we became adults, we kind of lost that asking, right? We kind of just th like don't think we deserve it, just think we're, we're not good enough or whatever it is. We just quit asking. Well, as a parent, I'll tell you, I get asked a million things a million times a day. I would say the top two, snacks, ah, <laughs> and shows, watching TV. Yeah, those are probably the top two. But 
we also know when our children uh, really are asking something sincere, right? Their heart is really after one thing, and they're really sincere about that. It's something very valuable to them, very meaningful to them. And as a parent, you desire to give that to them, most of the time, probably. <laughs> um, and, but Jesus, he is looking to bless our desire for more of him. Ask, seek, knock, be patient, wait, but also be expectant, and more of the Holy Spirit will come. Now, in Acts 4, uh, another crazy experience happens again, where they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's some of the same people that just got filled in Acts 2. So, hello, it can happen again. It's not like Jesus says, you already got some power and some filling, so that's enough. He is a God of abundance. He gives us more. And after that experience, well, after both experiences, two and four, people, the disciples are filled with boldness, and they go on to proclaim the gospel with boldness. So any amount of timidity, we can't do this, I'm worthless, I'm shrinking, goes away. And this is the pattern that John Wimber, the founder of the, the Vineyard Movement, experienced. He read scripture and he was like, this is incongruent with my church experience. What Jesus says in the Bible about what he did and what the disciples did is not exactly what I see happening in the church. And so he wanted more of the Holy Spirit. And so he asked for it. And he waited. And, and in fact, he prayed for about 100 people that they would be healed before he experienced his first healing. That's waiting. That's waiting for God to show up. And that's persistence. I might have quit. <laughs> because we, just, we start to think, oh, no, God doesn't desire this for me. Oh, God doesn't want to use me like that. You know, oh, I can't hear his voice. I can't do this. Whatever it is that makes us shrink back, those things are not from God. That's not the Holy Spirit. So what, is this, what does this all mean for us? Well, we are a spirit-empowered community. We love the Holy Spirit. And we believe the Spirit works in our lives, and he works in our lives to build up each other, to fill us with power to minister, to completely change our hearts and rewire our identity. So how do we wait for the Spirit to fill us? We wait by worshiping. We wait by praying. That's what the, that's what the disciples were doing. They were all together praying and worshiping. We confess our sin, we empty ourselves to make room for the Holy Spirit, we, we, we get rid of the barriers, we read the Word, we make room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're meant to experience the Spirit in tangible ways, just like the New Testament believers did. And that may be as simple as just sensing that the Holy Spirit is with you, or that he's in this room. Sometimes um, 
I might just get a sense like, wow, the Holy Spirit's really here. His presence is really filling this space. Sometimes I experience his presence like a, like a, a, like a weighted blanket. You know, if you were to put like a weighted blanket on where like his presence sometimes feels really heavy to me, very peaceful, like I could just fall over. <laughs> it's, so, it's so restful. Um, sometimes, you know, he might come over you with a wave of, of joy and excitement. And you're, you're filled with, with love. Um, you, might, you might feel like spontaneous weeping or crying. You might feel him just release something inside of you that's been bottled up for a long time. And you're just sobbing. You might um, experience him in power, where he might make your hands warm or uh, tingly. Um, I've had experiences of, of shaking, where you, you, the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit is physically resting on your body. And a lot of times these things can feel super weird to us because we like to be in control, right? We like things to make sense. I have one of those personalities from Meyer Briggs that's like the researcher, I don't know, the you know, like the log logitician or some something like that, you know? Where like I'm logical and I like to reason and I like things to make sense, right? And sometimes that can get in the way. Because we can't make sense of, of how God moves and works. Encountering the supernatural God doesn't make sense because he's not like us. And so encountering him is a radical experience, just like in Acts 2. So let me give you some practical tips for this week. First would be make room. Right? Ask Holy Spirit this week what barriers you might have to experiencing more of him. Is there, is there doubt, a lie, fear, pain? Now, the doubt is just our disbelief in him or our, our disbelief of how he does move and how he comes or what, 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 like, uh, you know, what do you feel kind of like pushing up against you in your brain <laughs> against the Holy Spirit? and how we see him moving and working. You might have to confess that. You might have to pray about that. That can be a barrier, just the logical, the logical mind. Um, sometimes there really is like a painful experience or a fearful experience. Maybe the church, a church hurt you, or you had a weird experience, and you're just like, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. It's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, maybe there's a lie that says, like, I can't, I can't hear God like that. I can't experience the Holy Spirit like that. Whatever it is, explore it. Okay? And the second thing would be um, to notice him. And it's a journey, and we, we celebrate the little moments along the journey. And we're all going to notice him in different ways. So open your eyes to see him this week. Um, look for him with your senses, look for him with your mind, your imagination. And then when you do notice it, like a lot of times 
I hear the Holy Spirit like in thoughts, right? It sounds similar to my voice, but it's a, it's a thought. And okay, it got my attention. Now ask for more of that. When you notice it, ask for more of that. Keep pressing into that way that you have noticed him, all right? And I'll throw a third one in there. Come to our prayer training after service. Dan said I was going to talk about it, so I'll talk about it. Um, but the, the thing about praying for people is that we get to relationally pray for people, make people feel really safe and loved, all while listening to the Holy Spirit at the same time so we can deposit in their heart what God is doing and saying. That's what praying for people is. I grew up, a lot of my church experience was just um, praying for things, and maybe people would pray for me for those things, but not like minister to me in the moment, praying for me, hearing from God, and then I walk away with whatever that prayer thing is that I came for, like, huh, a total breath of fresh air because I encountered the living God through somebody else. And that changes you. So it's a simple way we believe everybody can pray. Everybody's empowered to pray. And our, our prayer training is a simple um, model that we feel like is done well and effective and helps you be able to do it without fear and things like that. So you can come to our prayer training. I'm going to pray as we move into... Um, our time of worship, and experiencing the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost. So, um, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask you to fill our hearts this morning as we worship you. You are welcome in this place. You are welcome through our singing and our in the music and our worship, and we just... We want more of you. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood so that we could experience all the things you have for us. Thank you that you sent the helper for us. Thank you that you sent the friend for us so that we could be in friendship with you. We don't have to do it alone. We can have this this intimate relationship with you where you are the source living inside of us. And we ask for more, a deeper intimacy with you, more experience of you, God. So we ask that you just bless this time of worship and that we can encounter you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org, lifemohammed.org.